You are listening to the Senior Pastor Podcast, where four giants of the Restoration Movement walk us through the issues facing the church today. Your four hosts are Bob Russell, Don Wilson, Ken Eidelman, and Scott Rollins. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor. With more than 7,000 investors, the Solomon Foundation is committed to helping the local church grow. When you partner with the Solomon Foundation, you get an excellent return while making an eternal impact. Start today at www.thesolomonfoundation.org. Welcome to the Senior Pastor Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rawlings, the teaching pastor of Christ Community Church. And I am joined by Bob Russell, founding pastor of Southeast Christian Church, Don Wilson, founding pastor of Christ Church of the Valley, uh, Scott Rawlings, founding pastor of Christ Community Church in Portsmouth, Ohio, Ken Eidelman, former president of Ozark Christian College and former lead pastor of Crossroads Christian Church in Indiana. I would guess that uh, among the gentlemen here that you've performed more than one wedding and or funeral in your career. And one of the things, Dad, you may want to address is you brought this up, how they've changed over the years. I didn't do my first wedding or funeral until, because I didn't come to Christ until I was 25, so I didn't do my first until I was 27 when I was in seminary. And so I haven't seen many changes you have, but what did you have? And what have you seen that bothers you or you like or? Bothers me is better. Okay. (laughs) I have done a little over a thousand weddings in the last 50 some years. And um, I I don't know how many funerals I got it written down somewhere, but the weddings are what bother me. I want to see that if you come to me and you want a church wedding or you want me to do it, I don't care if you do it down at Joe's Bar and Grill. I don't care where you do it. I'm going to do it the same way And uh, because you're asking the Lord to bless these two young folks, if they're young ones, because some of them are waiting out forever. And I insist on being able to make that presentation the way I want to. So this little girl comes to me, and she has her vows. And I said, good, you, you, you have them some other time. We're not going to do that here at church. That's not the way I do things. You want me? I, I don't charge. I don't take money. So I'm going to do it my way. And if you don't want to do it my way, uh, you go down to Joe's Bar and Grill. They'll do it however they want to down there. It bothers me that they, they want and all of these changes are, that they're wanting to make some of which has absolutely nothing to do with the kingdom of God or anything that's found in Scripture. So that upsets me a tad because I've had weddings out in the wood back in the 70s. Shoot, you have them in the woods, you have them everywhere, but I was never, ever asked to compromise on what I was to say and how I was to do it. And I think that if I'm going to have any part of it, it's going to honor the Lord or I won't do it. And that whole thing is gravitating in a direction that I don't like. And so I wanted us to talk about it, see how these other guys handle it, because it bothers me. And I'll talk about funerals some other time. Well, the only thing I've seen, the only time I've ever had any problems other than, well, with what you're talking about, I've had always had problems with... <laughs> Uh, the mother's wanting to run the wedding instead of the uh, the daughter, you know, the the bride getting what she wants. But I have had a couple of times where I've had to have that discussion where I said, well, you're not going to say that whole submit to my husband thing, right? And I said, yes, I am. That's what the Bible teaches. And yes, that's what I'm going to do. And I've had some people have second thoughts about having me officiate 
the wedding, but I wouldn't I wouldn't back off that. I personally don't care if they write their own vows, but I have to see them. I have to see uh, them. The question I would ask, do you guys marry people that are living together before they get married? Answer, yes. Okay, I don't. That's one thing that I was clear on. I, so for me, uh, if you're if you're living together, uh, we would give counseling, and you can separate before we sign that covenant because I'm not going to stand up and ask God to bless their immorality. The big thing that I've seen in in weddings in churches, ours changed big time because we had Saturday night services. So that, but the second thing is the reception. If you have a policy in your church, there's no alcohol, and they want to have a reception there, probably 90% of the weddings immediately leave the church and go someplace else. So that's the change. I haven't seen that much change in the vows and so on. I tell them, this is how we're going to honor Christ, and this is what I'm going to say more in my message than in the vows. I haven't seen that much change, but uh, but our big thing was I would not marry somebody that was living together. I do, Don, but not without significant time that where we talk about it ahead of time. It's enough said. Go ahead. I see more and more destination weddings, and people are spending so much money and asking other people to spend a lot of money. And I would like to find ways to encourage the kids to come back and get married at church because marriage originated with God. And I think if we want God to bless it, the church ought to be the place where we begin. Nothing in scripture about that, but I just think it's better. I will let people write their own vows as long as they say the basic things about till death to us part and not just as long as we shall love. But I, I, uh, I don't like doing weddings. I find it easier and more rewarding to do a funeral. Weddings are tough because of the mother of the bride and because of the photographer and because I can make mistakes. You're saying the same thing over and over and you have to twist them a little bit. And I have said, put this ring on the third hand of her left finger and some dumb things. You know, do you remember Tim Coop used to be in our brotherhood? Tim had a wedding one time and the girl was a laugher. When she got nervous, she would giggle. Some people cry if she's a laugher and she got to repeating the vows till death do us part and she said till death (laughs) (laughs) the congregation left and he backed up and he said till death do us part and she said (laughs) (laughs) she did three times and Tim finally said well would you settle for a couple years (laughs) (laughs) and because you've gone through that and and, and you're just a figurehead in some ways uh, weddings are tough but I also think weddings are a good opportunity to reach people that you can never reach other. They're going to be in church who would never be in church otherwise. So I, I started out in ministry with that black book. Dearly beloved, we're gathered together here in the sight of God and face this company, join together this man and woman. And I looked out as I was going through that and I said, nobody is listening to me. So I decided if I'm going to do a wedding, it is going to be personal. It is going to incorporate some of their history and some of their likes and dislikes. I, I think weddings are a great opportunity to, to give a testimony to the people in the audience, but it takes a lot of work and it's a lot of tension, but uh, it's it's not an easy thing to do. You know, you know, we're talking about weddings and funerals. It's interesting. What I remember is Wayne Smith when I was a young pastor and he <laughs> made the comment, I hate doing weddings, but I love funerals. <laughs> and I'm a young guy starting out, and I'm thinking, you are sick, buddy, you know? And I will be honest, the longer I have been in ministry, I enjoy funerals so much more uh, than weddings. Because yeah. I find now that it's a life and death situation, a lot of things, and you have a greater 
opportunity to share the gospel in, in a funeral and then almost any other time. It's a great outreach opportunity. But when he said that, I thought, what are you talking? But the longer I've been in it, I, I would say I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm with you fellas. I'd rather do 10 funerals in one wedding. And when I was in the located ministry, I, I was selective about the weddings that I performed. I mean, I was, I said no. And sometimes, and yes, sometimes, sometimes causes a problem. You know, you, you you consent to do this wedding, you don't consent to do that wedding. But, you know, if it was uh, somebody that want, just wanted to marry and Sam, I'm out. Somebody else can do that. But, you know, if it's a serious couple that's that's entering into a covenant marriage, I'd participate in that and enjoy it. I don't always enjoy the receptions and what goes on at receptions these you days. You know Roy Wheeler? He used yeah. to preach in San Antonio. He financed his retirement by performing weddings. He said, I've got no authorization in Scripture to perform a wedding or not. I'm just a, an agent of the state. And people knew that they could come by his house. And if they would give him, I can't remember what he charged, he performed a lot of weddings. And he stuck that in in uh, in his retirement program. Yeah, I asked Roy once, I said, how many weddings did you do last year? And he said, like 150. <laughs> and I go, that's three a week. And he goes, I know it. I think Ken or one of you said, I, I don't charge for weddings. And I don't either. I, I don't do very many weddings. But I tell the bride and groom when I counsel with them, I counsel with them one time. I said, look, I'm not going to give you a gift. My gift to you is the fee of my wedding. I'm, I'm suspending that. Now, I want to tell you what my fee is. My fee is $1,000. <laughs> and I'm giving you a big gift for free. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I don't, I don't charge either. And I, but one of the things that, that I do, I've learned, is when I sit down with the bride-to-be and the groom-to-be, and I meet with them, and their family's nowhere around. It's just the three of us. And I go, okay, what, what do you want? And so we go through that back and forth of what the bride wants. You know, the groom never cares. And so go back and forth what she wants. And I said, then I meet with the family before, even before rehearsal. And I sit down and say, okay, here's what I got. Here's what she gave me. And if either of the mothers speak up, I said, no, no, she's my boss. This is what she gave me. This is what we're doing. And I, I've seen, you know, mothers and mothers-in-laws just give me the stink eye like you can't believe because I just shut it down. Mm-hmm. And just, but I just, I immediately, and I do it in front of everybody, so there's no... I think one of the toughest things that I've had to figure out real quick in weddings is divorced parents who sets in what row and all that, that can cause more problems. The, the worst struggle I had was with a photographer. And I would basically say to the photographer, and I would tell the couple, you're not to distract from this ceremony. I will restage anything you want, but I do not want you up front. Show. Uh, yeah, I'm not, you're not, but now with, I go to weddings where the camera, the photographers doing the vi- video, mm-hmm. they're running up front everywhere and all that, incredibly distractive, kind of like the boom mic in most of our worship services. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, that's another thing. But anyway, I got something about funerals that I think is interesting. Let me throw that out. Sure. This, this is something, my brother drowned when he was 18. I was eight, small town. Hundreds of people come to a small town, you know, funeral like that in that age. And as a young boy, I didn't realize that when I walked out, there were just people on each side of the sidewalk just packed. And they were doing it out of love for my family and all that, but it hit me wrong. It started affecting me, and it probably wasn't until 20 years into ministry 
that I finally decided that we do funerals backwards. And so when my father died at 95, I said to my family, you know what, we're going we're gonna to do it different. And they go, what do you mean? I said, we're going to do the, the, the burial first. And I said, all the family, we're all believers. We're going to go and have a little private ceremony for the burial. Then we're going to go to the church and celebrate his life. And the one thing that I think we do backwards with funerals is when you do the cemetery last, the emphasis is on putting him in the ground. And I think the emphasis should be on celebrating their life in Christ. And so at least that's one thing that... The latter years of my ministry, I started sharing to people that had never heard of that, and that really became a more of a home run. You know, now the difference in funerals: so many people cremate versus burial, or they keep the ashes for a long time, and who knows what they're going to do with them. But uh, anyway, that was one thing that I d- did that I find has become way more meaningful. The struggle that I have with funerals is no matter what kind of a life that people live. Everybody gets up and talks like they're perfect and going, you know, going to heaven. That that is a, a struggle when you have family and different people sharing. Those are some things I've seen change with funerals. Bob said he never charged for a funeral. Uh, I can remember being asked early on by the the groom, you know, or somebody that's in a position to pay for the wedding. How much do do I owe you? And if you can get the bride and groom when they ask that question together and say to the groom. Whatever you think she's worth, <laughs> it works out real it works well. Out real well. <laughs> One of the things I, I did do that I, that I would do over again with weddings is I made the bride and the groom pledge to come and see me before they would go and see a lawyer. And not everybody did. But everybody committed. That was one of the conditions. I, I will perform your wedding if you will commit to that. And a few times they, they did, and sometimes not. But, but at least it kind of drives a stake. I do think funerals provide an opportunity, a unique opportunity to reach people in the world. There are people who are going to sit there through that service out of respect for the family and their hearts are open. They're thinking about their own mortality. And I think funerals merit some preparation and some personal attention. And I just don't think we ought to go through a, a funeral without making the gospel as clear as it can be. Keep it simple. I don't like the ones where they say, okay, we're going to have an invitation at the end of the funeral. I think that's too forced. But I think we can plant seeds and trust that the Lord is going to fertilize those seeds and it, uh, produce a harvest. But I hate to see guys just reluctant to take any funerals at all because I think they're a great opportunity not only to comfort those who are hurting, but to evangelize the lost. I keep, I, go ahead, Keith. I was going to say, I I keep a picture on my cell phone of a couple. I'd been here um, in Louisville about three years. I got a call one day from um, a woman, a young woman from Evansville, and she said, you probably don't remember me. I was a little girl when you had my grandmother's funeral. And I, I sat in the front row. I love my grandmother. And you had her funeral. I remember that. And she said, well, I've grown up now. I'm engaged to be married. And I want the Lord to be in my life and my future. And I want to come over to Louisville. And I want you to baptize me. And so I consented. And she drove over with her fiance on a Sunday morning. I, they came over early. So I had a time to kind of teach with them and, and over at our place over here in the sanctuary. Then we came over for the late service. They had never been in a church like Southeast before. They walked in and it was all over their face. 
they saw all these people and just the dynamic of the worship that morning and the message. So after the service, I was, I was, I told her I would baptize her after this late service. So we did that. Well, the, the fiance did not commit to that, but his experience in worship that morning was just gobsmacked him spiritually. And when we were in the back getting ready, he, he said, I'm ready to take this step too. I want our marriage to be That's a God-honoring marriage. And you know, here's a, here's a wedding that I performed for somebody's grandmother years ago, years ago but it turned out to be a gospel seed. Yeah, well, I have practiced as best I can through the years. About three days after the funeral, I go to the home then, if they're not Christians. And they're, they they welcome you in. You get down to you can sit down at the kitchen table, and you can talk to them about the Lord. And I've seen more professions of faith at the kitchen table, really. From as a follow up, it takes a little time, but it's proved to be real fruitful. And uh, I've tried to faithfully do that through the years. I try to tell young guys, as soon as you're asked by somebody to do a funeral, call that family quickly. If your mother died and you want to tell your sister because you really cared, you'd be on the phone immediately. Call them and ask them to meet with you and just sit and talk with you at the church or at their home and say, anybody in the family wants to join that, all you got to do is sit there and ask questions. And all of a sudden you're taking notes and you got all kinds of stories you can tell about that person. Or sometimes people say, well, you knew her. Yeah, but tell me. And all of a sudden, the the pump is primed and all kinds of examples come out. And when you make that funeral personal, I I think a funeral has three purposes. One is to give God thanks for the life that's been lived. The second is to comfort the grieving. And the third is to exalt Christ. It almost needs to be done in that order. Until you scratch the itch, if people want to talk about that person, they're not ready to hear the gospel. But if you you do that and bring comfort to family, then at the end, if you're realistic, you start talking about the gospel, they're ready to receive it. They know you love them then. You know, you spend enough time that they know you love them and they listen to people. That's the reason when I get to the home, and you can usually tell ahead of time whether because you can go in, they're ready then to relax and whittle and spit and drink coffee with you and get things done, you know, and they'll listen. You can open the Bible on the kitchen table, and, and it's amazing how alert they are to what you want to say. You know, one thing I would say about weddings that over the years I wish I would have done in the church, premarital counseling to me was usually a waste. By the time they came to me, they'd already made up their mind to get married. And even if I said, you guys don't, you're, you're not a good match, they're going to follow through. I wish I would have required uh, one year follow-up counseling because I think most of the struggles that couples have, they're going to surface in that first year. And if you can set some tweaks there and get them on the right track, they're going to go the distance. But if you don't get them together that first year, and I, I wish I would have, I would give more attention to Were that. Were you surprised, Don, at some who made it and some who didn't? I, I couldn't tell when I performed a wedding. I sometimes a most loving couple, greatest wedding ceremony, and they have trouble. And then others, you say, they're not going to make it. And then 20 years later, they're, they're doing great. Yeah, very hard to predict. We've all encountered situations in our church where someone could really benefit from support and talking with a therapist. Thankfully, God has provided individuals who are specifically trained to be therapists. And I am genuinely excited to share a fantastic option with you today from BetterHelp, the sponsor of today's episode. 
BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and accessible, which is so crucial because finding a therapist can be quite challenging, especially when you're limited to local options. But with BetterHelp, everything becomes easier because it's an online platform. By answering a few questions, they can match you with a professional therapist in just a few days. Signing up and getting matched with a therapist is a breeze. Simply follow the link in the description, betterhelp.com slash 1801media. That's betterhelp.com slash 1801media. Not only does clicking this link support our channel, but it also gets you a 10% discount on your first month of BetterHelp. It's a win-win. You know, finding the right therapist is kind of like dating. Sometimes it takes a bit to find the perfect fit. But with BetterHelp, if you don't quite click with your initial therapist, no worries. You can easily switch to a different one for free without worrying about insurance or network restrictions. As Christians, we sometimes don't think of therapy as an option, but it's essential to recognize that there are people available to help us through difficult times. So I want to encourage you to consider this valuable option. Whether you need someone to talk to about everyday struggles depression, anxiety, or any other challenges. If you or someone you know is struggling, I strongly recommend exploring online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com slash 1801media. That's betterhelp.com slash 1801media to get started. Once again, thank you to BetterHelp for supporting this channel. Let's all take a step towards better mental health and support one another on this journey. You're not alone, and there is help available. Better help. Hey, let's get back to that thing, because uh, I, I look like a bad guy, and at times I am, so you just need to be on your defensive. Well, but, spit. Yeah, that too. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you can't will and spit, you got a lot to learn. That, learn. That's that's really cultural and irrelevant in Phoenix right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you were talking about whether to marry those who are living together, because... Come on, let's be honest. In every one of our churches, there are couples who have been attending faithfully who have been living together without the benefit of marriage. That There was a church there. We were visiting in, in Phoenix, and I think it was Alice Kay's buying some stuff for the house. We went to this carpet place, and this guy had a little church there in Phoenix somewhere, and he said that the preacher the week before got up and said, folks, there's this problem of you living together without marriage has gotten to the place where we have to deal with it. As of today, there's a thing out front here where we're willing to, if you'll do it, we'll pay for you moving into an apartment, we'll pay for your apartment, and then we can talk about other things. So you can't say you can't afford it, we'll pay for it ourselves. They didn't have one taker, not a single one. He said they just listened real quiet and then continued to live together. If somebody comes to me and says, you know, uh, we have the premarital stuff, you know, especially with the, the ones that are living together, and uh, if I'm convinced that, that this can lead to salvation, I'll do it. Okay. I'll do that. And uh, as I would a couple who weren't Christians that came, treat them the same way because their behavior indicates they're, they're at the same place anyway. Yeah, when they told us it was a financial problem, we did have uh, people in our church that would agree to, to let them stay in their home until they went through counseling to figure it out. But it was interesting to me when I would meet with a couple and I'd just say, are you living together? And they'd say yes. I would always, every time, turn to the guy and go, 
hey, do you want to honor? Why, why are you doing this? This is what God says. To my surprise, the unchurched guy would almost always say, I really appreciate you sharing that with me. I never thought about that. The guys that would almost always complain was the church guy. He wanted his cake and eat it too. He he wanted to continue to do it. He would struggle more with, you need to separate until you get married than the unchurched person. Don, to your point on counseling, I mentioned earlier that, that we're in this series called Generous Marriage. The church here has volunteered, been public about it, to pay 80% of your counseling fees for six months. 80% six months. I don't know what the count is now, but it's like over 300 couples stepped up and said, we're in trouble, we need help. And the church, when it was announced that the church would pay 80% of the cost of counseling for couples, there was spontaneous applause in the service I was in. I, I do think that there is intensive care needed post-marriage, particularly the first year or two, the, the, just the issues that couples are getting used to as newlyweds. Oh, well, yeah, there's there's that as well. But, yeah, I, I, I find that, uh, in, in my opinion, I, I do sit down and do premarital counseling. I'm kind of with Don. I, it, you know, at that point, that's kind of that boat has sailed, and so I'm not sure how much you can really do there. But I, I do want to go back to funerals and hit one thing before we start to wrap up. What do you do when you have great suspicion that the person you're doing a funeral for is not going to heaven? Because over the last few years, dad and I and a guy by the name of Ralph Clay, we usually do the funerals. We've had a suicide. We've had an overdose. We've had, you know, you, you name it. How do you guys approach it? You guys are a little more experienced than you three and longer at it than certainly I was. I think a key is to shift gears. Talk about the person, mm -hmm. give comfort to the family, then say, you know what? One of the things when a person close to us dies, it makes us think about our own mortality. Yeah. Is there life after death? Let me tell you what the Bible has to say about that. That's the translation. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I shift from... This And I don't say we're going to meet this person someday in heaven uh, because people in church have their antennas up to see whether you're going to be consistent with what you say on Sunday morning, what you say in that right. funeral. And there's no time to be a hypocrite. Right. Or you can say, you know, I'm not the judge about who goes to heaven or who goes to hell, but let me tell you about the one who is the judge yeah. and what he says we're to do so that we have this hope of life after death. And you shift gears and the people in the church, the Christian people sense that. The other people are thinking about themselves more than they are about whether that person's in heaven or hell. And I think you have a chance to preach the gospel, but I think it's a great question and it's one we need to be consistent on. Universalism is so big out there today. You know, everybody's going to heaven. Michael Jackson, you know, anybody and everybody that if dies. If you ask the average person, it's everybody but maybe Hitler and Ted Bundy are going to heaven. Yeah, exactly. And that and that universalism is a doctrine that we really need to bury. And in and subtle it's ways. it's been our churches too, Ken. It oh, really yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah, my uh, it's the flip side. I agree. I agree with Bob. I said that really well. I was at a, a funeral of a young girl in our church that she'd had drugs, used drugs a lot, and just didn't make good life decisions. And my son, being the youth pastor, had that. And I thought I'm sitting there going, "Okay, buddy, how are you going to handle this?" It was. I thought it was really good. He went through her life decisions, you know, and it was like ran with the wrong crowd drugs. He went through all that, but he said, I'm here to tell you today, she did make one great life-changing decision. Three years ago, she did give her life to Christ. And I thought, 
wow, that that was an interesting way he took a lot of bad decisions and this one right decision helped make a difference. Uh, for me, the hardest funeral was always a family that carried a baby full term and it, and it died at, you know, when it was born. That and, and suicide, those would be the toughest funerals for me. And I'm not sure I said the right thing, but boy, I sure prayed for God's help on those because uh, those those are, are tough ones, at least for what's for me. My toughest funeral was a little two-year-old boy who was beaten to death by the boyfriend who stayed home with him, was not the biological father. And and the, the guilt on the part of the family, was just the grief was unbelievable there was there was no way to minister because of the extreme grief in that situation it was a tough one i think we have to be realistic and realize most of us are fix-it people we want everybody to go out of there happy and joyous right. but there is a time to grieve and it, we just have to accept this is a sad sad time and we're going to grieve together I had uh, the funeral of a seven-year-old boy died of leukemia, and the whole church had prayed for this boy, and the mother's heart. It just, and at the end of the funeral, I worked really hard talking about why God permits bad things to happen. And the mother of the boy said to me afterward, Bob, if words would have helped, you would have helped. And that's the truth. There are times when the whole funeral service, no matter how hard you try, is not going to really relieve the guilt that, or, or the, the grief that the is there, the heartache. And we've just got to accept that this time to grieve and we're not going to make it well right now. And that's why I think your three day going three days afterwards and me, that, uh, that's that's that prof- that's profound. I never that, I, that's, never, that's yeah. the best time that I found out when I first started doing that. I, I went almost immediately and that was wrong. They hadn't had time to wheel and spit yet. <laughs> so I, I like Don's idea of having marriage counseling six months or so after I they never get married. Of that. And maybe that ought to be a contingent. I'll marry you if you'll agree to come for marriage counseling six months down the road because they'll be a lot more receptive to it then. A lot more to talk about. Well, it does something else, too. It kind of ties them to the church. That's a a good thing, yeah. Well, I always found something that actually you had mentioned Fred Craddock in one of our earlier episodes, and I heard Dr. Craddock say one time before he went to be with the Lord, he was talking about funerals. And he said one of the things he does is he goes out of his way to also speak to, for example, if their if their children a spouse has died and the children are there and there's a tendency especially for daughters and so forth to mom you just you just sit down and we'll we'll take care of this we'll do the dishes we'll cook when Fred Craig said that's a huge mistake he says all they're going to sit there and waller in their you know in their sorrow let them he said one of the biggest mistakes the church makes is let them go cook let them go clean they've got to do, be active they've got to be doing something and so he always said he talked to the family i said now look you're going to be tempted to try to do everything i'll go get your car washed i'll run to the cleaners no let them do it just one of the things alice Kay has done that's my first wife for people who are listening here said she's always done is, is maybe three months after uh, the spouse has died She'll have them with one or two of the others guys who've done like Dave, literal others who have lost their spouse. She'll have them over for supper, and they can sit and talk with each other. It, it has really been a blessing to those guys. i say something else about funerals. If you meet with a family early, you're able to guide the funeral a little bit. If you don't, they're going to have 
four or five different people speak at a funeral. Too many people speaking at a funeral wears, and you don't, you can't control what's being said sometimes by the time, or how long, by the time you get up, people are worn out. And I, I think you can say, okay, let's, uh, at the most two or three, and let's tell them two or three minutes each, and it's going to be, that's going to be four or five minutes each. But you need to yeah. govern, have some kind of guidelines about who additional speaks at the funeral. And it's not a concert. People don't come to a funeral to hear a super amount of music. Right. Just get right to why we're here and what we're trying to accomplish. I think you can control that. And above all, I, I don't know how you guys feel about it. I hate open mic. When you say at the end, if anybody else wants to get up and say uh, yeah, anything. Black churches have done that. Oh, and, and just, and, <clears throat> you know, uh, one of the things that I also had to watch that, and I upset some church people, is the video tribute yes. that they will do. Mm. And then, you know, like everything's great. And then the last thing, you, they show a picture of the whole family, you know, chugging beer, holding up beer and all right. that. And then you're supposed to get up next you know and do that and i had a really good family i've known them for years and i knew the guy and i saw the video ahead of time and i cut off that last part and didn't show it and made the wife and some of the buddies really mad but i'm going like wait a minute everything was great family up to this last shot that totally that last impression left a totally different experience yeah Mm -hmm. i can tell you about one that will curl your hair but i don't want to do that what we did do that that started years ago is we have a lot of night funerals now we have them at the church in the evening and they can start visitation like two to four to six or seven and and we usually start at seven and run to eight o'clock on them we've had as many as a thousand people show up for the service itself i watched the Masonic people used to come in, you know, and do their service before the thing on on the day before you had to, and that building would be packed and down at the funeral home. I thought, what the heck? Lest we devalue the weddings and funerals, or it is a critical time. You know, they're big milestones in people's lives. Yes. And it maximizes your impact as a pastor so. if you utilize those opportunities in, in a good way. It can be a, a, a really good thing that can really, really set your profile as a shepherd as a pastoral uh, leader you know and, and i've found out something that in my ministry that you have to be careful when you say somebody dies and you say it's my day off and what i experienced was you can minister to people for 20 years and everything's great but if you say i'm not available for your funeral you you've almost missed everything on the other hand if you say you know you uh, might have not known that family at all but like you said at that pivotal moment while they're grieving and so on you are available to minister to them that can flip it and have just a profound the, the other way it amazed me how much it meant to people even though our church got large if i would just stop in a funeral home yeah. amen brother yes, I, I mean I, that's one thing i didn't cut out mother died dad died i would spend my afternoon sometimes going to three different funeral homes mm-hmm. and People act like they don't know you're there, but the word gets out. And they say, when I retire, say, I wouldn't say anything about my preaching. They would say, you know, when my mother died, you came to the funeral home. I'll never forget that. And it doesn't take long. It's just saying we care about you. It just takes a few minutes. 
It takes a few minutes. We have part of our staff meeting. One of the things we do is if somebody in our church we know has lost a family member, that family member probably didn't even go to our church, we still make sure that one of or three of us are going to stop by during visitation and drop in. Yeah, I think you have to do that. I was two weeks into my very first ministry, a little church in Broadwell, Illinois. I uh, got a call at the college. I answered the phone, uh, didn't recognize the voice on the other end as a human voice. I was two weeks into that ministry as a 21-year-old, and um, the chairman of the elders had taken his two-year-old son out on the tractor with him in the field, dropped him under the wheel and run over him. And I wanted to get in my car and drive, pick up Kayleen and drive to California and not look back. I was completely ill-equipped in, in this situation, to minister in this situation. We had a cardboard table in the parsonage and folding chairs, and, uh, and that's all the f- real furniture we had other than bedroom furniture. But Kayleen fixed a meal for that family, and we got an extra card table and four extra chairs, and we had the family in and made a pathetic attempt to minister to this family by providing them a meal and our presence. And they were just getting acquainted with me. But it's amazing how in our weakness, God manifests his strength and what he can do with our heart efforts, even though they may be pathetic uh, when it comes to ministering to grieving people. But you loved them. That's the big deal. Yeah. People loved don't remember them. what you say. No, that doesn't matter. You were there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were there. Yeah. Well, folks, we're going to wrap up, but I think the takeaway of this is take these things seriously, spend some time in prayerful preparation, and make sure you're being as biblical as you possibly can. And uh, I think to your closing point, we're never going to do it perfectly, and especially in those tragic situations. It's, it's just horrendous, and every pastor listening out there you know, is going to encounter it at some time. So thanks for listening. Uh, I want to thank Bob Russell, Don Wilson, Scott Rawlings, and Ken Eildeman. Hope you'll tune in next time. Remember, if you want wisdom, you go to those who have been there and done that. Take care. This has been the Senior Pastor Podcast, a production of 1801 Media Incorporated. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.